Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. We weren't really looked after the mental health department when we athletes were injured. Definitely worth 10, 12 years ago. The Golden Girls won. And then I was very, very, like, jealous. But I only ever won those three Olympic medals. I did it when it mattered. Because um, that's all people care about. They don't care about the other medals. Welcome to Athletics Life Stories with myself, Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by three times Olympic medalist, Kelly Southerson, MBE. A strong-minded and determined competitor, she broke through with heptathlon bronze at the 2004 Athens Olympics and went on to win Commonwealth gold, world bronze, world indoor silver and European indoor silver. Since retiring, she's stayed closely involved with the sport in the area she's most passionate about and she was England's team leader for the Birmingham Commonwealth Games in her adopted hometown. Thanks for joining us today, Kelly. Hi, oh, thanks for having me, Chris. Good, good. So let's, 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 let's just wobble on about Birmingham. Tell me about, uh, you fresh off the back of the Commonwealth Games, a very successful Commonwealth Games. You were, the, you were the team leader. Tell me about the special moments that stand out to you. Um, special moments. Wow, actually getting all, all my team in with no positive COVID. <laughs> that was the biggest challenge. The guys coming from Oregon, um, you know, had to really look after them, really, um, and make sure just everyone got the opportunity to compete. And that was probably challenge one. And once we got that, then obviously then everyone was like, yeah, go on now, do your best. But in terms of athletic performance, there's a couple of standouts. The obvious ones are the two people who went and regained their title. So um, Nick Miller and the Hammer, one in 2018, one again. Um, so that's great because that's hard to do back to back wins four years apart. Um, it's no mean feat. And then KJT, um, you know, event that's obviously close to my heart, knowing the the difficulties of turning around from a world champs into a Commonwealth Games, I thought it was nearly impossible, but did think the only person who could do it was her if she was fully fit. And obviously we know that she wasn't a hundred percent fit and she's coming back from injury. So like, you know, gave her the benefit of the doubt and she proved 
you know, proved me right. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of doubt out there, but that was a great win to win on home, to win at home, and regain the title she won in 18. So those are my standouts. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed watching every athlete, whether they won a medal, did a great performance, or they didn't. They 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 put on a vest. They represented their country with pride. They had the best support they probably ever had, and it it was right bang smack bang in the middle of a brilliant summer of a sport. Um, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have liked all those championships back to back. But however, I think the Commonwealth Games sat really well between the Worlds and the Europeans. And, you know, having the, some of the dis- athletes who were disappointed from Oregon come back to Commonwealth Games, rectified what they didn't do, or the athletes that didn't get selected for Oregon come and compete and prove their worth and then go on and do success in Munich was equally satisfying. And I, ju- and I just wanted to point out there's like a couple of athletes that I didn't select. You know, the likes of Alex Haydock-Wilson, 400, you know, had a disaster in the mix 4 by 4 in Oregon, but then came out and ran the individual in Oregon really well. Didn't select him for commies because he just hadn't had the time and the performance up to that date for me to select him because it's quite early, but then smashed it in Munich. And I had the conversation with him uh, last month and said, you know, things work out for a reason and you've just proved that from a disappointing star you've actually absolutely smashed it and this is a massive step forward for you so things work in funny ways so maybe if I had a selected you maybe you wouldn't have gone and won a medal in Munich although things happen play so you know there's swings around about there but it was obviously thoroughly enjoyable just being part of a successful team yeah yeah I've got this theory that it was a uh, athletics we really took centre stage this, this summer with the Commonwealth Games Europeans and Worlds and no matter what you think of the Qatar World Cup and being Qatar, actually, it cleared, it cleared the stage for athletics this, this time, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was obviously a lot of other sport going on with the uh, Euros for England. And so, um, and obviously very successful. Um, mm. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant summer of sport. And as you said, athletics did take centre stage. And I think that was thanks and help having a brilliant stadium and having sell out crowds every day. So, um so, yeah, we were fortunate this summer. Busy summer, but fortunate. Great, great. Well, let's go back. To, let's, let's talk about Kelly Sutherton now. Let's talk, go right back to the start for you. So, um, so you, you grew up in the Isle of Wight, didn't you? Tell me about your childhood in the Isle of Wight. Yeah, so I was born in Newport on the Isle of Wight, opposite Parkhurst Prison, which is one of the prisons in, in the country where all the lifers go. So um, that's obviously a great start. Um, but, yeah, I right, <laughs> born and grew up there, um, lived in Ryde. Um, you know, went to brilliant schools, had brilliant times, had brilliant friends. I suppose it's probably one of the last generations where he was able to go out or, you know, leave your home at eight o'clock in the morning and summer holidays and not return till like eight o'clock at night and your parents not worry. <laughs> so yeah. had all that freedom. Um, and so, yeah, really fortunate. So, yeah, I, I was there, but my family from Essex. So um, I had a lot of opportunities to go to the mainland and see family. Um, and then because I was used to, popping on and off the island on a boat, you know, joining athletics clubs like Team Solent in Southampton and Portsmouth afterwards, you know, it's just that grew my kind of curiosity for being a traveller and wanting to be more than just living on the Isle of Wight. So, um, yeah, it was a great place to grow up in the 80s, most definitely. Um, I cherish those times. Um, but that just seems like a lifetime ago, if I'm honest. Um, and as you said, like you said, my adopted hometown, I've been here half my life. So I'm probably more a Brummie than I'm an Isle of Wighter at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, that's it. So when did you first start taking uh, part in sports and, and when did you when did you realise you might have a bit of talent? 
Um, I, I suppose school sports days from the age of six. Um, I used to be put in the year above to do sports day because I would just beat everybody, boys and girls. And you're like five and six. I was just stupidly quick. So, um, on, you know, on, on the grass field at school. And um, then I, if we were paired up with any kids at the school, I was always paired up with the weakest kid um, because it then became a level playing field for everyone. So, for instance, I did a wheelbarrow race with a, with a really, um, a girl who wasn't really into sport. She was really arty and creative. Her name was Emily, Emily Spedding. And uh, we had to do the wheelbarrow race. So I had to be the wheelbarrow and she had to carry my legs. And we won. And I, I suppose that's the first time she'd ever won anything. And um, and it was just like, oh, that was great. That was like, amazing. That's when we were seven. And we became quite good friends through primary school from then. But, yeah, I used to race the boys and the girls. You know, got to nine, I was just winning everything. And I think then became, you know, a little bit of a sport billy. I loved rounders. I played football. I, I loved climbing. Um, so I was an all-round sports person, not because any parent or anybody pushed me. It's just because I enjoyed. I had the opportunity to be outside a lot and play. And I think that's probably what lacks now. But, yeah, I, I had the opportunity to be player, be free and do what I, what I wanted without you know, any questions being asked, really. OK, OK. And I guess when you first started making your own roads, you went to the English schools and you did quite well at the English schools. Um, yeah. And also there was, there was an event called the Island Games, isn't there? Which is a real quirky event, which I've never been to, but I'm fascinated by the Island Games. Love the Island Games. So the Island yeah. Games is basically a competition that's about small islands, some from all around the world, but mainly in around, like, um, I think it's, like, UK dependency countries like Jersey Guernsey but there's also Swedish islands like Gotland there's Malta I think there's Gre- Green- uh, Greenland in there as well Greenland, Greenland in there, Cayman yeah. Islands um so yeah there's loads of little islands I really don't know really how it come about but it's like the friendly games and it's probably the first like multi-sport games that if you're from one of these islands you get an opportunity to take part in and you can usually take part from the age of 15 except like I didn't get asked to take part until I was 20 and that was in 1997 and that was Jersey and I think I was um <laughs> I could say golden girl of the games I won six gold so I think I broke four records um it was a great experience um and that was the start of my actually my athletic career like kind of hitting it off at home I went to the British under 23s that year so yeah I did the 1999 games in Gotland I had really injured had been training really unfit but I still won a couple I think I won four medals two golds two silvers I got beaten by I don't know if you remember this uh a sprinter Chris called Sidoni Myasil she was from the Cayman Islands okay. so she she just come from nowhere and she actually eventually I think ran 22-1 in the 200 and was like fourth at the world champs a few years later so you do get some kind of big names that totally come from yeah. the Island Games. But I know they're really popular with not just athletics, but it's a really good breeding ground for talent. So in all sports, obviously, so it's multi-sports. I think there's shooting, swimming, I think hockey. Oh, I've got this. I think sports change. It's like a mini Olympics. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it's a really good um, thing to be part of. And it's, I think it's still quite going. It's going strong now. Did you ever get tapped up when you were an Olympic athlete to come back and compete for the Isle of Wight at the Island Games? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's not the point. So uh, yeah, I, know I did want to do, what, I can't remember which games it was, and it was when I'd already won an Olympic medal, but I wanted to do another event, like four hurdles or triple jump, um, but Aston wasn't letting me. 
So, uh, which would have been fair, right? So it would have yeah, been my fault. Yeah. I mean, I probably would have won it, but like, maybe. <laughs> but like, um, but yeah, I wanted to come back and do another event, but it just, it didn't really fit into the schedule, it, or the summer season. It was always clashing with British champs or champs, obviously, that I needed to do. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it was a, it was a really great starting point for my, my career. Um, and I really enjoyed that time. And you don't ever get to really represent England very often, let alone the Isle of Wight. So, um, so yeah, I can proudly say I represented them. I think, wow. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, I guess your first breakthrough as a Hepps athlete was you, got, you went to the European Under 23s in '97, was it? Yeah. Yeah, that was the first. I think that was the first proper Under 23s, and that was in Tallinn. No, it was in Turku, Finland. Yeah. Um, and I was eight tenth. I think Julie Holman was eight and scored a personal best. Had a terrible 800 metres. Um, but yeah, that was my first big international. Um, it was all right. I learned a lot about myself. Um, and interestingly, from that group of girls that competed there, only three of those athletes, I might have been about 18, went to the Olympics. So um, as much as it's great to get to that chance, it wasn't really not much success from that first cohort in, in 97. But um yeah, that was my first taste of being on international championship. So and I didn't go to a championship again then for five years. So um, because of injury and just I just wasn't progressing and except and university was in the way and I was growing up and moving around. So um, so, yeah, um, that was my first my first biggie, really, my first taste of real probably international competition. Yeah, where were you in those few years? Were you at Brunel University after, I'm talking 98 to 2001, were you at Brunel? Or? Yeah, uh, well, I was being Borough Road called at the time. So, yeah, so I left in 1998 and moved to Birmingham to be coached up here and got a job. So I had a proper job for five years, worked for HSBC. Um, so, because I'd finished uni and I had to, you know, leave. London was not the place for me. Um, and my coach was Trevor um, Marseille, who was in Birmingham. So I just made a decision to move. And I've obviously been here ever since. So, um, and that was kind. So I was competing, but, you know, national level, um, yod England vest, uh, like an you know, international versus Ireland or something, but not really, or the Loughborough International, but not nothing big. Um, and it, that, you know, until 2002, until I went to the Commonwealth Games in Manchester, nothing, I was just, just a snaffling, just trudging along in a, in oblivion really kind of thinking I was doing the best I could but really wasn't um and until you see what other people are doing or someone tells you you're not good enough is to realize actually you need to make some changes so just made more small changes each year and then gradually got better and then got told that I needed to make some more changes and then you know 2004 happened so with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I was going to say, I mean, in these years, did you ever think you would be an Olympic medalist? Because you, you didn't look like it, quite honestly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, you, 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 you were plastering, weren't you, at that time? You, you... Um, no, I think, um, I don't think I dreamt big enough. I always dreamt of being on the Olympic podium, but never dreamt of winning the gold. And I kind of think that's why, I don't know why I didn't. I wanted to be the best. I always said I wanted to be top five in the world. And actually, Charles at the time, like in, I think it was in 2002, he said, you know, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a top five in the world. And I just think I could have dreamt bigger. And I think maybe that just mindset then might have held me back. However, it wasn't from the lack of trying. I think I had the, I had the talent, obviously, and it just needed the right person to unlock it. Um, because someone doesn't give you talent, you already have it. You just need to know how to get to it. And, um, and that was just through just like hard work. And I obviously have very big determination. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a person who will, you know, put my hands up and make a lot of mistakes. I generally don't make the same one twice. I do learn, uh, in, whether it's professional, personal, um, because that's, that's the way you move on and become successful, right? High performing people never make the same mistake twice. So, um, you just learn from that. And I was just fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and take an opportunity. Um, even though, you know, so for instance, financially, I took a big hit because I had to quit my job to go to the Olympics, basically, because Charles, when I linked up with him in 2003, he just said, you have to quit your job to go out train with me. So I took a, you know, massive, left my job, massive pay cut, lived off literally nothing. Um, and it, it paid rewards. So and the rest is history after that, really. I mean, were you even lottery funded at that time? No, I remember in, in 2002, so I went to the Commonwealth Games, I was seventh, um, and I'd done five heptathlons that year and all between 5.7 and 5.8, and it wasn't quite enough. I think if you remember in those days, you had to score a distance, a time, or a score to get funded. It wasn't about what you performed um, in a championship. It was all about times and distances. And I was always literally about 50 points off, and I never was able to put that head taffling together. I'm disappointed at the Commonwealth, terrible javelin as per usual, and uh, let me down. So... um, he said he wouldn't support me at all at a national training camp after the Commonwealth Games. And that just kind of said, OK, I'll prove you kind of wrong. I am better than that. And so um, in that in that following winter in 2003, I went to the World Indoors. I was in the 4x4 for Great Britain. I never got to run, but I was in this squad because I'd come um, second at the National Champs um, in the 400. And then it. I invested, I think, about three or four thousand pounds in me going to training in California for five weeks with with Greg Richards, who was training Dean Macy um, and Keel Warners, who was from Holland. So I just invested in myself in that particular time. And that's that. Then I got funded because I went to uh, to Tallinn that year in 2003 and scored over six thousand points. And I think that just proved to Charles, who was then the technical lead for kept happening um, and jumps that actually this girl has got the ability and determination to make changes and improve so he saw something in me and he invested and then I got 
the minimal funding level at the time, which was, I mean, people were going to laugh, £525 a month I was on. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and you can make crazy things, crazy things can happen with £525 a month, but that's all I had, my rent was £425, so I was like, (laughs) so I had to really doubt, I had some savings, some really small savings for my job, and I just made made it stretch um, for about eight or nine months until I went to Gotsits the following year in 04 and scored big and earned some money. And then in those days, you could be upgraded in lot- in lottery halfway through the year. So I then got put on to the like, three levels higher, which, you know, from 500 to 1500 pounds a month, I was laughing. I thought I was rich. So um, and then obviously from there, you know, winning medals, getting a Nike sponsorship deal and, and et cetera, et cetera. And those little things. I mean, I wasn't mega rich. Let's just say. Oh. You never mega rich being an athlete. Uh, you have to really be a, a Mo, a Jess, a Usain Bolt. You have to be that level. You can still win medals, Olympics, Worlds, and still not earn money. Um, and my event wasn't really that money rich, really. And um, second and thirds weren't cutting it, really. But, you know, at the end of the day, I've got nine medals in my drawers. <laughs> it's quite a brave decision to do that, to go in, effectively go into debt to, to just try and yeah, fulfill the dream. Did you ever get people like friends or family saying to you, oh, Kelly, can't you just get a normal job? Did you ever get any of those chats or did you have the backing? I did have a normal job. I, I, you know, I worked in a bar for a year, managed a bar, worked for HSBC for like four or five years. You know, I had a proper job. I'd proper potentially going into that world of uh, banking and stuff. And so, like, I chose, I then gave that up and I, I didn't go into debt per se. I think I maxed out £400 on a credit card. But, but I had enough savings. I lived within my means. I didn't go on crazy warm weather training trips. I didn't have the crazy, you know, I just, I didn't have a car. I had a bus pass. You know, everything was prepared at home. I never went out, hardly went out. Um, I, and I was fortunate, I, you know, I had some kit coming in from Nike. They helped me a little bit. Um, and I was able to use the facilities for free. So um, in Birmingham, because I had an international athlete pass. So there were things that I was able to do. It, it, you just don't you don't need to splash out to be good. You don't necessarily have to be in debt to be good. You just you just have to be clever. Um so um with money and time and resource. Yeah, yeah. So for that for that, that for that Olympic year you're obviously being coached by Charles alongside Denise as well. Denise Lewis was part of the group as well. Yeah, Denise came back into the fold after um her and Charles had parted, I think in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, and she had her baby. Um, so we, me and Charles started working mid July, mid 2003, and then Denise was working with Becca and I think Frank Dick, I think through, through 2003. And then she came back, um, and we trained together all the way through that year up to the Olympics. Um, yeah, Charles played some funny games with us. So we trained quite, we trained together. She was, she gave me some great one-liners. Um, and as you can imagine, as, as, as we know, like there was quite a lot of, volcanic um discussions between her and Charles in training <laughs> right so, however we had that but we also had a lot of fun um because we, obviously then me and Denise would um collude together about Charles and like for instance I can say this now because it's nearly 20 years ago we was on a training camp and uh I think Denise might have had some sore ankles or feet but we wanted to go and play tennis so it was just about, it was in Coral Bay, which is, was the Olympic holding camp, but this was in the May, so it was well, well before Olympics. And we was just about to get ten, tennis rackets from reception to go and play a sneak game of tennis, which Charles would have had a kitten if he knew. And, 
he just kept, he was just about to get them. They're just about to hand it over. And he come in. He goes, what are you two doing? Oh, no, we just found these tennis rackets on the side. We're just bringing them back. Like, and he didn't question us. And he was, and he was like, good, you know, because if you, because there's athletes out there playing tennis. I think he said, Dean Macy, Nick Buckfield is out there playing tennis. If I, I'm glad you two are sensible. I'm like, <laughs> just about to go and play tennis with them. So, um, okay. So, or we, yeah, you know, we had some fun, like just those little things, um, which made up for the, you know, the not so good times. So, um, we did have good time. Hard times. Can't get anything. Nothing comes easy. Sometimes you have to go through bumps in the road, but like, yeah. And I think back, we, we did have some fun times. Okay. Okay. Well, whatever it was, it was the environment was working for you because you went yeah. to Athens in great shape. Um, and I guess, I guess going in there, Denise was the defending champion. So clearly much more attention on Denise. Yeah. Um, as defending champion, she was like the golden girl, um, and it didn't quite happen for her, you know. I guess her body okay. fell apart and the rest, but uh, yeah. as it doesn't, uh, can do, it perhaps happen. Uh, you were smashing it, weren't you? Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, obviously Charles underplayed me a lot in that game. So he knew what was capable of. But what a lot of people didn't know is that I couldn't train for the week before because I tore my quad, and uh, so seven days for the hep, I was not training. Um, had my last session, I did. And then I had a really, I had lots of tears in my quad because I had lower back problems. Because um, I, I had a fracture in my spine. I fell in the June of 2004. I'd hurt my wrist and fractured my spine, which was kind of the cause of all my problems thereafter. Um, so, yeah, it caused some issues. And then I kept on tearing my quad. So, yeah, I had to have, um, yeah, I had to have hospital, you know, hospital rest, doctor, not training, not training for a week. So I did have the great preparation, really. Um, but yeah, I, I flew, and yeah, I should have won silver. I should have ran harder in the 800. But like I said earlier, like I made a mistake, an error of my own ability. I didn't trust myself enough. I never made that mistake again in the 800, as everyone knew. It then became one of my strongest, if not the strongest event, where I pulled back points. So um, yeah, I flew. I felt Charles was all invested in Denise. And Denise was hanging together like with tape. Um, she wasn't fit going into that in terms of, you know, injuries. She, you know, it was a long shot for her and it just didn't pay off. And then it was a sad conclusion to her Olympic journey, really. No one wants to see that. And then that took, put all the, not necessarily put the pressure on me, but then, you know, Charles was emotionally invested in her performing well, not maybe not so me. So hence when at the end of the Olympics, in the green room just before going into the presser, he's calling me a wimp for not running hard enough. I think it's just the emotion of what happened in the day with Denise. He just took it but out. This was this was not getting this, not quite going for silver, settling for the bronze sort of. Yeah, set, apparently yeah. I settled for a bronze medal, even though you know, God, like the year before I was ranked 59th. Yeah, I mean, he did apologise the following year. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, year. So, so yeah, so that 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 medal has a like a story that's slightly tainted, not always happy. And then you see me getting my medal, and I'm I'm a bit tearful, clearly because he had upset me, and I thought I wasn't good enough. So uh, <laughs> I don't think it would happen so much now, but like you do learn from those experiences, and that and and as you become a coach, that people get a mo. You, mm. Coaches are emotionally invested because it's their career as much as you, and you are a team. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it, it was. It's a bit of sweet, really. It's a. It was a great. It was a great time, but also a tinge of like, God, I wish that didn't happen in that way. Yeah, yeah. At what, what point did you think a medal was on, though? I mean, what, what, what point in the heptathlon were you thinking I'm going to win a medal here? Well, I was still third after the javelin. 
yeah. No, yeah. I had a really great hurdle. I, I mean, I had a really shocking hurdles. I hit a hurdle, nearly clattered it. Oh, well, I was going really well on the hurdles, clattered, I think, hurdle six. And then in the highs, I, I still ran okay, um, but not as good as I'd run that season. So I was way down. But then I had a brilliant high jump, you know, added uh, seven centimetres to my PB, you know, clear all the way through 85 massive I was very skinny then as well anxiety levels were through the roof and but yeah brilliant and, and I was just solid you know then I had the 2000 the long jump or at foul foul even took it back a meter on the third jump and still nearly a scratch foul jump 650 so I had ability to perform under a huge amount of pressure and then still be in a medal contention after the jab. I think it was 38 something, 37, 38 something, which was not bad considering my PB was only 40 that year. So, and my warm ups were not even over 30, they were so bad. Um, so yeah, I knew, yeah, I knew, I said to Neil Black, who was my physio at the time, he's, I said, and him, and Bruce, the doctor, he goes, you're going to win a medal, Kelly. I says, I am. You've got a medal. And this is before I'd run the eight. I says, I've just got to run the eight, and that's I just got to get round. And even though I, I ran, I won it, the eight hundred. I all I needed to do was push it a bit harder, and I just didn't. So I didn't really know how to because I'd never been in that position before. And as I said, you live and you learn. Like I'd never allow that to happen again. So yeah, okay, yeah. okay. But once that happened, the next, I mean, you, you once yeah. you've made the breakthrough, you're a proper, you're a prolific medal winner. They're not you. Won at the the European Indoors, Commonwealth Games gold, European Indoors again. Yeah. Or bronze, you know, you 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 yeah. You really established yourself, you but you're really up British place. athletics. <laughs> <laughs> Propping up British um, athletics. <laughs> um, well, yeah, because there wasn't many of us winning medals in that oh four to oh eight year. You'd know that. So um, yeah. there was only a few of us, and I think yeah, I, I think I failed. Yeah, out of the nine champs, I'd missed out twice. Um, just for I'd been injured that year or illness, and I just wasn't I wasn't I was under underperforming. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I think, especially from 2006, end of 2000, I went to, I just meddled every time. Mm. And so I was getting in a really good rhythm. Um, but like that takes its toll, um, especially when you're a late developer and you've got bad habits that have caused injuries previously that you can't really rectify when at a certain stage because your body's already adapted to that and then you add all this workload and pressure and that something's going to break so yeah I was fortunate to be have a good really good couple of run of years where I just meddled and meddled and obviously if I'd meddled at the Olympics in a way at the time I, I know I would have won medal back-to-back medals for two years which I don't think athletes did then they don't now still unless they're the best they you know I was constantly on that podium so yeah um it was a good time um that was a great time. And that's when I was with Aston more when he was my coach. We brought him in and it took us a couple of years to find a rhythm. And once we found that rhythm, it really worked. So um, it's just a shame it got cut short through my injuries. But yeah, um, mm. yeah, prolific. Sounds great for two years. <laughs> just to pick out a couple there, the, the European Indoors in Birmingham in 2007, you really pushed Clough really hard. I mean, Karen Clough was a, a phenomenal, a phenomenal athlete. You know, yeah. a real, a real uh, you know, Hell of an athlete still is now, still, still, still yeah. held in huge regard now. And you posted 17 points. That was, um, do you, you pick out that as one of your best performances ever? Yeah, definitely. Because I think at the time we became, I think I was second and third on the all time list in the world or ever. Um, and the, the, I think, yeah, it, it was a great, it was a really great competition. And, you know, I'm at home in my, in my, 
you know, in front of my home crowd, so I have to perform. Um, and I'm the closest person to ever beat her. Um, so, yeah, she, we, it did become mind games after a certain point. She and her coach tried to be my friend. I mean, I, lo- I love Caro. She's great. She, she plays good mind games. <laughs> so after, it was a long jump. Just, you know, I, I think I jumped, I can't remember what I jumped, 51 or 49 or something. She just jumped a little bit further. And it's it, it's just, that's the nature of her. She was, she still is, for me, the best heptathlete so far this century. No one can beat her. She just had the ability to perform when it mattered. And even when it wasn't going well, she found something. And you don't find that in many athletes. And she, I think, if she was a heptathlete now, no one would beat her. I admire everybody that's come after her, but I just think she had the tenacity and the ability and the determination and the will and the support of the crowd, regardless of where you were in the world. And as you remember, there'd be a lot of yellow and blue <laughs> in the crowd watching the hep. She brought a real charisma to heptathlon because she was just so energetic and that changed I think heptathlon um she was a brilliant personality no one would beat her now 100% her and Tiam Jess uh on Jess definitely go with Carolina Clift every day of the week you know so um just because of her uh, yeah as I said her tenacity it was immense so yeah, I nearly had her. <laughs> I nearly had her. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a good Did you have a good relationship with her though? Could you be friendly with, with each other? As, as we were, yeah, as, as peers and yeah, like work colleagues. Yes, absolutely. We all did. There was a, quite a few of us who had a good time. We'd hang out. We'd help support each other. It was very much, um, you know, really healthy camaraderie. Um, so yeah, we did. And you know, when it came to things like the eight hundred, me and uh, Caro would always. Okay, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Who's taking on the first lap? Like, we did this in Helsinki in 2005, so she had to beat Eunice Barber by a certain amount of seconds. And she goes, Kelly, I need your help. I said, well, what do you need? She goes, I need you to um, help me run this lap. I need you to do this. I need you to... I said, okay, I'll do what you you need me to do. So I supported her. I did it in Gotsits in 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 the early summer work out work well she led me and then I took her the second lap so she led and then I took it on and then I block like Eunice Barber nearly tripped her up yeah uh, <laughs> and then I win but yeah so we had a we had an understanding of how we ran 800s together um so we knew each other's strengths and weaknesses so um and we supported that and helped each other so um as much as we wanted to be each other we tried to pull the best out of each other in certain events yeah, yeah. She, she could have done a better job of me and javelin, but she didn't. <laughs> I, I was gonna, I was gonna get. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm gonna get onto that. The elephant okay. in the room is, is the javelin. So that that was that the javelin was a real problem for you, wasn't it? That's that's not made up bones about yeah, it. Yeah, but what people really felt, like I said earlier, um, I really improved in 2004. Through I went from like 33 to 40, just under 41, but I fell. In the end, in 2004, fractured my spine and hurt my wrist, um, which caused me a whole lot of problems. And that became then a, an, an issue to throw javelin. So I didn't want to go into like a big, like a long position, just about to throw. So I would like crumble because um, I was scared of hurting myself. You know, so your body protects and my mind would not let me throw the javelin in the way I could like throw a ball against the wall I just felt my body was like no you're going to shut down it's not safe you're not going to do it and it took about three years to get over that and then it wasn't until 2008 I started to 
I had my all-time low, low in 2007, and I still won. I threw 31 at World Champs. I still won a bronze. It's ridiculous. So bad. Um, but, I mean, it's better because I threw 28, like, three weeks before. So, <laughs> but, yeah, I started to get better and used nobody really – I used so much psychology. It was unbelievable. I wanted to go and use Steve Peters in 2008, but I was blocked from doing that by British Cycling. Um, so, um, for some reason, we weren't allowed to use him. He was, mm. you know, all for cycling. And that's very busy guy, but I wasn't allowed. Um, and that's what I was told anyway. Um, so, yeah, we then I found somebody, a guy called Ed Percival, sadly died now. And he was, like, quite instrumental about how I thought about processes and how I thought things. And then in 2008, 9, Javelin started to get a little bit better. Um, and in the winter of um, 2008 and 9, before I got injured, you know, I started to throw 42s, 43s, 44s in training. I'm like, oh, my, it's going. I never did another heptathlon. <laughs> So, because uh, I was injured, uh, foot injury, back injury. So, um, it started, it just took a long time, massive. It's like golfer with the yips. Like, you just have to find a way of unlocking how that works. It's, it was terrible. So, um, but it was because I had an accident and people just don't understand that. It's, uh, the amount of letters, I got all sorts of people saying, oh, I can help you throw the javelin. Like, it's <laughs> not a physical git problem. It really isn't. It's a mental problem affecting the physicality. Um, so yeah, um, but hey, imagine, imagine, imagine if I threw 50 meters, I'd probably still win silver and bronzes because I was oh, against be... the greatest heptathlete of the century. Yeah, yeah, no, I was. I, I would have just scored more. I would have just scored more, which in essence is brilliant, but it would ne- not necessarily give me any more medals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real challenge for that. Yeah, it's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The other challenge around that time was, uh, you were quite vocal about it, was that doping in the event as well and athletes like Ludmilla Blonska you were quite open about it at the time so I'm sure you're going to be open about it now but how do you cope with that when you, you obviously in your own mind at the time you're, you're competing against cheats how do yeah. you cope with that? Uh, you really can't really necessarily think about it at the time when you're competing and um, the only time I did and I, I, I kick myself every time was Beijing her, I knew her and, and Tatiana Blancs, Blancs and Chernobyl were cheating. I knew they were. We all knew they were. And I allowed it to like affect my psyche and what I thought. And it really affected my competition on the second day in Beijing at the Olympics. And um, that really disappointed me. Um, and I found some stuff left at the long jumps. I gave it in to my team manager, I think, who handed it then to the uh, relevant authorities. And then, obviously, two days later, Blancs goes out, found the drugs test, and that's her second, so she's a life ban. Found what? What do you mean found some little long I found some vials, like some little vial things that had stuff in. And I don't know if it was a masking agent because a masking agent to cover what they had. Um, so, so for instance, when we was after the competition in Beijing, the top five were drugs tested. So I was fifth. So um, we was all drug tested. You go in, it's blood in your urine. But I wanted to warm down because it's part of the four by four squad. So I went to warm down with my chaperone. You have a little person. 
not a little person. Somebody, they're not little, but they might be. There was a person. Well, you're, you're quite a tall girl, Kelly, so, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Okay. Little people. So, um, so someone will come with you to watch you or follow you around wherever you go until you, you know, give a sample so you're not doing anything untoward. And, uh, while I was running round, Le Blonska was running round, but she was running away from her chaperone and trying to hide. It was just so oblivious. And I was like, it was like so oblivious, so obvious. And I was like, okay, so uh, that's that's not suspicious. And then you know, two days later, the equipped paper phoned my agent and said, Blunska is out. You know, the equipped always gets stuff first, don't they? So it's like <laughs> they said she's out. So that was the first big doping story of the games, um, life ban. And so, and you could just see the nervousness of people in drug testing. Like they just look nervous, really nervous. And, you know, you just think, oh, you're, you know, excuse me, like a bunch of Fs and Cs. Like, I just, you're just affecting my life. But, you could, you know, like, what can I, I can't do anything about it until they get caught. If it's now or in 10 years. And obviously, one of them was 10, well, eight years later, but worked out 10 years later. So you just thankful that that happened at all because there could have been a chance and I'm sure there's many athletes out there who haven't got what they're due or never get what they're due or never know how good they really are because of people cheating and never been out never got caught because of statute of limitation with testing so um yeah I think I'm quite fortunate unlucky but fortunate mm. yeah mm. cheats are cheat whatever so um yeah <laughs> but do you know what I was angry at the time I'm not necessarily angry now and it's because I was quite bitter after I retired. And it was and when I think about the people testing, um, the cheating, I actually don't necessarily blame them. It's it was the regime, the people in and around them, they allowed it to happen. You know, Russia isn't a wealthy country in terms of sport, in in terms of the athletes do sport to get out of the situation, look after their family, get out of a hole, become, you know, look up you know, have a livelihood, have a life. Um so they they probably had legitimate reasons for why they did it, and then it, if and some of them probably were cheating and didn't know they were cheating, you know. Or you don't you take this if you don't, the next person's going to take it and you're out, and you're back in the streets, kind of thing. And not that's a bit dramatic, but you know it's like a um, conveyor belt of athletes in Russia, especially women. Obviously, there were so, there were talented athletes, and um, they just wanted a better life. I just so I'm a little bit more. I get it. I don't get it, but I get it. Um, mm. Yeah. Got a bit more empathy about it these days then, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Like, you know, I don't like it, but I, I, the regime was there for a reason. They're not bad people. You don't be, you're not born a cheat. So um, you're definitely not born, you're not born a cheat. Um, something happens. Uh, the people, the environment around you changes and, and then they, um, yeah. So mm. bit more, bit more perspective. Yeah, yeah. The thing just to mention about Beijing, it's just a bit of a side note, really, but you you ran the relay there, uh, and it started a little journey in 400 metres for you, but you actually ran an absolute cracking relay like that, didn't you? In, in yeah, Beijing. I, I 50. did. 50.35, it's an absolute, it's world-class time, really, isn't it? It is, Chris. Yeah, it is, it is. I mean, well, perhaps, perhaps um, athlete, though, it's a, it's a heck of a time, isn't it? But that's because I, that's the distance I trained for. That was, I, um, if I wasn't a hurt athlete, I would have been a four or four hurdler. That would probably be my niche. Um, and maybe probably could have, should have done it. I might have had a longer career, more successful. Um, well, maybe not, or earned more money. Um, been on the circuit a lot more. Um, 
but yeah, I ran 50.5 in the heat, 50.3 in the, in the final. And, um, I think at the time it was, yeah, the 50.3 was eighth fastest all the time ever by an, a British athlete. Um, and considering the, the, the athletes that we'd had, and I don't even think Chrissy O had run faster than that by then. She, she, she took quite a few years to run fast in the four by four. Um, but yeah, um, I wasn't, wasn't very well received in that relay. Um, I know that the relay coach at the time, Tony Lester, took a big risk on me. Um, and I know some of the coaches and athletes didn't like the fact that I was put in that relay, but I'd run the European Cup in Annecy that year and I'd run last leg and I'd run a 51 split and kind of people went, whoa. And so then people were watching me train leading into the Olympics and I, I, I ran a 300 meters in Macau in our training camp just before we went into Beijing, uh, a proper time, 300 timing gates. And I ran 36 seconds for a 300. You know, everyone's, you know, you've been to a holding camp. Everyone, when they're doing a time trial, everybody watches. Everyone's <laughs> got a stopwatch out sneakily. <laughs> so yeah, I ran a 300 at 36 and you know, everyone just went, Wow, this girl's get this girl's in shape. She can run. She's gonna run. And then, um, because I'd run a hurdles PB, a 200 PB, an 800 PB, and a hept. It, I think Tony goes, this girl is, you know, the hept, the, the four by four is five days away. Just recover. Um, this girl's, this is our girl's our backup. And the only reason I've really got in the relay because Lee McConnell got an injury in the in the heat of the semis of the 400. She hurt us at her quads, I think, and that opened the place. But nobody expected it to be me. And uh, so I did, I think, not I upset, but Tony probably upset a number of people. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think they're going to run any faster than me. And I did a good job. Um, um, and then I did remember on the commentary, Steve Crow. I mean, when I got home um, and people had texted me, Steve Cram had said, oh, I was the reason why our relay team didn't win a medal, but I'd run the second fastest split on because I was on leg two, but I was on the leg with Alison Felix. Everybody put their big dogs on two. And Alison ran like 48.7, so I'm going to look a bit shit. <laughs> but I still have <laughs> So, um, and, you know, it was a hard, it was hard. I was blowing at the end. But, you know, I gave it my all. And, we, you know, eventually, obviously, we, we get a medal. So, um, did yeah. all right. Yeah. yeah, it's good stuff, good stuff. So, injuries were an issue then at this point of your career. There's no bones about it. Uh, you didn't. Uh, did you do another heptathlon or you attempted to do uh, one more heptathlon, didn't you? Beijing, did attempted to do one in 2012. I had a couple mm. of years of just getting of injured. Then I did a year of running 400 to get my body back into training and running. Then I had a, a 40% chance of doing a hep, getting a heptathlon. I went for the 40% chance. I could have continued 400 and maybe made the relay team at London 2012. But that I, when you've been to two Olympics, I, I don't want to sit in the stands or... I am not a relay runner sitting in the stands. That is not me. I don't want to be a take. I don't want to take part. I want to go and win medals. So I went for it, and then it didn't pay off. So yeah, I didn't get to do another heptathlon after oh eight, unfortunately. So um, sadly, yeah. So and you obviously don't know that at the time. So yeah. What did you do? What did you do for London 2012? Were you around? Did you watch it? Ah, oh, got paid a handsome amount of money working for Sky Sports for two and a half weeks. <laughs> oh, you guys, too bad then. Well, you did get gold so, then. <laughs> that, 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 it was really hard because I was in the studio right opposite the stadium in Westfields. We had a rooftop, a brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant studio. And I was there like every day, twice a day, um, you know, both sessions. It was me and Marlon, actually. Marlon Devonish, we were there all the time. Uh, I think John Ridgen and Ed Moses. 
So we all like interacted. We all had, we all partnered up. It was really, really cool. So yeah, I mean, I remember commentating because Sky wasn't able to show the Olympics because it's on BBC. But then, so when the race is on, you know how they do the football now, like, you know, someone's in the, and they're talking about what's happening. All right, talking to, like you're yeah. talking to Jeff Selling, are you? Yeah, you know, I, like, I was <laughs> the Chris, the Chris Kamara of the Olympics then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but some, you know, there was a present, the sports presenter was there and like, Kelly, you know, what's going on? And I'm just explaining the whole race of Jeff Ennis winning the gold. And I really didn't want her to win in terms of like, because I was gutted. I was jealous. And, you know, it's like, because at that time I was jealous of not being there. Um, and so at your home games, but then I was commentating, but I was crying because I was so happy. So I was like, oh, I'm like, I don't know how I feel. Like, I'm amazed for her because the Golden Girls won. Absolutely fabulous. And then I was very, very like jealous of the fact that I wasn't in that stadium. So I'm here, the stadium's here, everything's happening now and I'm just commentating here. And I'm like, I just want to be over there. And I just, you know, so that kind of hurt, um, a lot. Um, but ultimately, it, yeah. So that's what I did. Um, that, that, is, that is incredibly honest of you, that because I was going to ask you about that about whether you would be like a part of you would be a little bit jealous yeah. of Jess. But I, it's, it's, it's a, any, yeah. I had this. I, I've had I, any athlete who says they're not jealous of somebody in their own event when you can't be there because you're injured or for whatever reason, they're not jealous about some, another athlete performing well. They're lying. Because your nature as an athlete, you are competitive and that creates like, and you want to be there. So there has to be some, not that you're unhappy for that person. That's not, you're just jealous of not being part of that or not getting the opportunity. So I was really hurting so much of not being part of that whole story and not being in, in that story and potentially winning a fourth medal for myself. Because, you know, if I hadn't been injured and I hadn't been fit, I was never winning gold. Never. I knew that. But I definitely had a shot at a medal if I'd have maintained fitness and not had the injuries. 100%. And that would have been a great swan song for me. But it just wasn't. And so that little dream of a home Olympics had just, you know, gone all right. It's all because I called the the Olympics a white elephant in 2005. It came that kind of reared its ugly head, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Karma. Karma go back. (laughs) No, I didn't say it was. I said it could be if the legacy wasn't right. So, uh, okay. But yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, but ultimately, that's sport and that's the nature of sport and that's competitiveness. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What was your what was your relationship like with, with Jess? It was uh, you obviously referred to as the tadpole at the time. It was quite a, quite a nice banter you had going. But was it a good relationship with Jess? Uh, yeah, we got on really well. You know, like she. So all the way from so when did we start competing against each other? It's like two thousand and six. So yeah, we we either shared. We shared a couple of times. Um, she, she beat me once at European Cup, but not at champ. So I do have that kind of. She didn't beat me at champ. Uh, <laughs> My only thing I can hold on to for the rest of my life. Um, but no, so yeah, we did. And you know, that, that term was taken out of context because I was making a rubbish analogy of a situation saying like, she's going to be brilliant. Like, I'm this frog. I'm the, I'm this person. She's just basically going to be, she's the baby and she's just going to go like, going to be a brilliant. She's, when she, when she's born and when she's like, but when she turns into the butterfly, she's going to be immense, so much better than me. And I'd said that like, you could see the talent there. It was undeniable. Um, and that's what I kind of meant, but it came out wrong. And it's quite interesting. I think there was a 
think in her book she said I was unsportsman. I did it in an unsportsmanly way. I've never unsportsman. I've never got an unsportsman bone in my body. And I would never, it was, it would have been kind of a, it came across wrong. And I, I apologize. I didn't mean it like that. This is how I meant it. But obviously, you know, yeah, shit happens. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, we do. So if I see, yeah, she, she, you know, we're not best friends. We competed against each other and we wanted to beat each other. And then we were injured at the, at the times when each other wasn't injured. So we never really got a proper match. I think if Jess had and myself had not been injured and uh, to get, we'd been healthy between 08 and 10, I think that's where you would have seen really good battles. And then after 2010, she did just went boom, like she went stratospheric and where I would have been falling off a cliff. So we we just about started to meet in 07. At the end of 07, 08 would have been a battle and 09 would have been a battle. And then 10, she it would have just, we were just going in different directions because where we were in our careers, she was 10 years, well, she is 10 years younger than me. So, you know, then fair enough, you know. You know, the younger one wins and the, the one who has more ability is going to. So, yeah, crack on. But Did, did you ever, this is a bit of a left field question, but did you ever, um, uh, you know, you're, you're an athletic person, you're an all-rounder, you're, you're fit, uh, but your body was just starting to creak and crack a little bit. Did you ever get attempted to do like a, a Rebecca Romero and try something like rowing or track cycling? I think Have a crack at that. You might know this already. Yeah, I, I did a lot. When I was injured, I did a lot of cycling um, and I worked with a physiologist up at Loughborough, Steve Bingham, who Jess actually worked with. And we did a lot of um, what bike and gold standard bike. So I did a, one of the bike tests that the cyclists do for the talent ID. Um, and I think on both of the bikes, there's like a six second speed, speed test at the time. And then there was a test where you went up in um, 10 watts, I think, or five watts, or 10 watts every 10 seconds, like increments. Like, so it's an endurance. How many watts can you keep going for? And both tests, I think I, my power output was quite high and I think uh, potentially could have gone on to do some kind of track cycling. But that was in 2010. And so it would have been a bit too late for 2012, I think, to make the transition. But it wasn't my heart wasn't there. So, yeah, I did a lot of cycling, got my cleats. <laughs> so I knew how to push and pull on the bike. You know, I, I was really fortunate. I got to learn some tricks of the trade of riding the bike. Um, but I really love cycling and track cycling was one I really wanted to do. Um, but I think if I had another five years in me, I might have given it a go. Um, but yeah, then I thought I could kayak. <laughs> so I, was at oh, really? I thought I could do, oh my God, no, I was awful. I thought I'd <laughs> give it a go. I had no ability. That, that's just, you know, that is just another level of ability. I had no strength. You know, you know, um but yeah I'd, I'd love to have given track cycling a crack really to be fair um but yeah I, I just didn't have that time and I think actually a lot of athletes could do track cycling because you do cycle if you're injured you do a lot of biking and if you get to learn to if you learn to cycle like if like endurance runners learn to swim and that's hence why they go and move to triathlon if you learn to do things properly actually and put the power and what you do in 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 track and field into another event you could be quite successful I think track athletes are quite lucky they can probably maneuver more because of the impact they do they're fitter the, the ability to move is probably greater um so um but yeah I would love to have been a track site this wasn't to be <laughs> hmm. oh, that timing yeah so years after, years after you finished you finished now you became a three-time Olympic medalist uh 
when was this 2018 or so? Yeah, when suddenly, yeah. suddenly, you know, you, the, the, the four by four got a medal due to, due to retrospective you know, bands of, yeah. of, uh, of uh, athletes that were doping at the time. Um, and you obviously, and you got obviously the bronze medal from Heptathlon in, in Beijing as well. Um, how do you how do you deal how do you deal with that? Is it is it a thrill or is it just a bit? It's is, is it tainted? I mean, it is tainted, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How do you process uh, it? It. It's like having four seasons in the space of like 10 seconds. You know, you're happy, you're angry, you're sad. Uh, you know, like you just hit all the emotions and then you think about what happened. What would it have been if I'd have had this at the time? How would my life have been different? Would I would I would have made different decisions. I definitely would have made different decisions because uh, I thought I wasn't good enough at the time. Hence probably why I got so injured after Beijing. So like, you know, what's the ripple effect to that? What, what would my life have been? You know, could I... I would have definitely 100% a um, lot more money. Um, and I'm not, I don't do my sport for money, I did it to win medals. But there would have been, that would have been like the, the carry up, you know, the, the stuff that comes with being successful, even more successful. So, um, yeah, and now, like, I mean, I have my medals in a drawer, like, and I was showing someone not too long ago, and like, you've got your medals in socks in the drawer. I said, yeah, because they're at my desk. When I'm working and sometimes I can look them out, get them out and they're there. If I put them in a case, yeah, they're there to look at, but then they're not, can't hold them. You can't just feel them whenever you want. So, and I can't take them somewhere. But yeah, if you, then, you know, they're great memories and uh, I'm very happy I've finally got them. And like, there's many athletes out there who are, who duly deserve their medals and never get them. And I just feel very fortunate. I got my medals that were due to me because of the hard work that uh, anti-doping authorities did to retrospectively test samples. So, you know, a lot of people say not enough is going on, but there is behind the scenes. There truly is. It's just there is a time limit. It's 10 years. And if, if they're, you know, now what we're on, anything now past 2012, I think we've had the last one now with Anchuk recently. Um, you know, it's now... You, you have to that that ten years is twenty twelve now it's twenty thirteen you, you can't be testing but there's people now who should have had medals and they just don't have them. I just I actually just feel quite fortunate I got what was mine. I mean I still should have won a gold medal. <laughs> if I if I if I hadn't had seventeen weeks of injury leading into that games, I probably should be gold Olympic champion in my in my mind I should have. And so that'd be a disappointment. However, you know, not many people say they've got three Olympic medals. Mm, no. So, and I, I, and I, you know, I don't go out. I, I don't walk around saying I'm an Olympic medalist. I'm not that person. Um, but I also like to acknowledge every Olympic event I did, I've won a medal. Maybe I should have nice done more. Not, nice way to put it. Yeah. Maybe I should, maybe should have ripped my microphone at Sky Sports and <laughs> ran over to the Olympic Stadium. I would have won the medal, no. Um, but yeah, so you know, this part of me is like. I've been a very successful Olympic athlete when it mattered. It mattered. If I'd only ever won those three Olympic medals, I did it when it mattered. Because yeah. um, that's all people care about. They don't care about the other medals. And no one cares really about world, Europeans, Commonwealth. But in, re- in reality, I get called three-time Olympic medalist and then sometimes Commonwealth champion. It's not. It's always Olympics. So you always lead with that and that's all that matters really, Absolutely. in the world of sport. Not that I, everything matters to me, but, you know, to the to the greater world, it's the Olympics that matters to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. So we've covered doping a lot. You've talked about, obviously, you're still, still an outspoken um, yeah. 
I don't think. The other Can thing I just was, change what you say, Chris? I'm not outspoken. I'm an advocate for anti-doping. So outspoken is like, I, I think it's just changing the rhetoric of that word. Like, no, I'm a, a massive advocate for clean sport. Okay. Uh, am I guilty of, la- <laughs> of lazy journalism there, of using media terminology? Sorry. That's sorry, okay. Kevin. I forgive you. Wrist, 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 wrist slaps and uh, <laughs> understand. Okay. The other thing I was going to ask you about was um, about um, trans issues in sport and what your thoughts are on that. And what, where, where do you see that, that whole debate going? I'm female sport. We're getting, uh, it's a really tricky subject. And I don't think any answer I give, there's always going to be, and I have to be careful of my views because obviously who I work for now. um, But I I truly believe in the fairness of female sport and biological female sport. And, you know, you're born a female, you compete a female. You're born a male, you compete a male. And and I, I understand there's so many different grey areas in between it all. Um, you know, and I'm admirer of people who are constantly battling that. So, for instance, Sharon Davis, every day you look on Twitter and there's a thousand tweets that she is. She must be just on this phone tweeting. Like, I admire her. Like it's, but she's doing it for the cause. And do you know what? In a generation's time, people are going to be mightily thankful for somebody like Sharon because she is just not letting it drop. And no, and we shouldn't, and no sport should. And it's just such tricky water to like you can't tread you, it can't tread lightly you're always on eggshells what's right what's wrong you don't want to upset anybody but also again you know women's sport has had a hard time getting to where it is you know you know women's football now it's getting the limelight it should and women's cricket women's rugby women's sport and some sport it's bad athletics women's sport is, you don't really see the difference between men's hundred and women's hundred you just see a good race right you just think, you don't, you see they're running fast, the women look fast, the men look fast, but you don't think, oh, that's shit, because it's, they're running half a second slower than the men. You don't see that, do you? You just see a great race. Um, so we're really fortunate in that. But like, we fought really hard for women's sport, and we, we're not even still getting the adulation that we, we deserve, but we're getting there. It's just slow. Now with this, does that push us back? We're fighting another battle that we, should we really have to fight? So um, I don't know enough of the ins and outs. I don't really know enough of the science. All I know is that there is an, there's a fairness that it isn't fair to a natural born female and that there needs to be some kind of solution. I don't know what that is. I don't know where to start. Um, but I, would, I just support female sport um, and, and be a massive advocate for it. hundred percent. I just don't have any answers. Um, I just champion what's right and what this generation of female athletes require and need, and I'll support them. Mm, difficult one, difficult one. Yeah. It is really difficult. It is difficult. Um, you know, and personally, I don't know any transgender athletes. You know, I've, I've not never, ha- I've not had a conversation with how they feel about it, what's their thought process is, how would they feel if the shoe was on the other foot. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I, I don't necessarily have their perspective, true perspective. Um, I only have mine. So, um, and that's the fairness of, of, of a natural born female. Um, so be interesting. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a, a long running situation that hopefully some resolution will come. That's my political answer. <laughs> very good. Very good. 
Very good. It's tricky. We're at the early stage in this, aren't we? So we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, 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 get, we'll get there. I think yeah. we'll get there. Um, you're coaching now. What, what style of coach are you then? What, what, how would people describe you as a coach? I used to, I've coached in athletics. I don't now. Um, I help other coaches be better coaches, so I'm there for advice. Um, I've coached in rugby at Wasps. Um, been a speed coach for a few years, up until like, a couple of years ago. Um, coached at Warwickshire Cricket, helped their S&C uh, move, um, help their, their cricketers move quicker, more dynamic, give some ideas. And now um, I kind of don't coach as much. If someone wants me, I will. Um, but my main job now is I work for Sport England. I am the coach development manager in, in the talent space. So I have, I think, around 46 sports where I will be helping and supporting coach development in the talent space. So, you know, coaches are already coaching talented teams and athletes. So um, that's what I do. I just love helping to develop people, help them to be the best version of themselves. Um, you know, the see, I, I've been fortunate that I've been an, a high-performing athlete, but also been an athlete at the lower end, but also coached at both ends um, and understand, you know, what more what it takes, I suppose have a greater understanding and empathy. So, um, yeah, so that's my new job since since the summer. So I'm just starting. I'm, like, just in my second month there. So um, quite a lot of work to be done. Hopefully see some success. I, it's a long road, coach development. Um, so hopefully we'll see some success in the next 10, 10 years. That sounds a long time. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it takes, takes six to ten years to see yeah work really improve and see things differently so that's you know yeah so that's what I do so um but not coaches traditional coaching down the track I've done my time down the track not for me okay fair enough <laughs> anymore <laughs> you've done yeah you've done your time there but you how do you still get your competitive kicks now I've seen you play a bit of golf don't you and you're obviously yeah, still a big Arsenal fan as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well after the league uh hopefully yeah. when time this goes out they're still top of the league uh, we're a match week 14 i'll have to um, get it to take pretty soon then in that case <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're all right, we're all right. if we're still in the lead up until the world cup then there's like a month off isn't there so we'll be then leading it to christmas we just got to keep down there anyway yeah so obviously massive arsenal fan um but also, um, yeah, I started golf in lockdown, so two years. Take off a couple of months, but we couldn't play. So just gone a bit awry over the last few months because of uh, Commonwealth Games. Not had so much time to practice and play. But yeah, uh, you know, I've joined the local, I've joined the Edgbaston Golf Club. Um, you know, met new people. Um, you know, can go either play for an hour or four hours, you know, in the rain, the sun, evening, morning. It's just a just nice experience. And it's like, it's quite frustrating golf. Anybody who plays it, there's a lot to learn. A bit like a multi-event. You've got a bag full of tricks and you've got to learn to use each one well. And some you can do really well. Some you can't. Some is hit and miss. Sometimes I'm Tiger Woods. Sometimes I'm absolutely like I've never picked up a club. So, um, yeah, so that's quite a nice kind of competitive. I'm not competitive, only with myself. Um, I like to win a hole. I like to, I've, you know, I've had a couple of birdies and then closest to the pins in my time. But um, competitiveness now is just um, how quick I can go for a checkout at the South Scanner or <laughs> how quickly I can beat somebody off the lights in my car or uh, how quickly I can walk through town and weave through people. <clears throat> so, yeah. <laughs> You know, I don't run. I'm, I'm not a massive runner. I actually don't like running. I'll run if I have to. 
you know, I don't necessarily go to the gym. I should probably, but I don't. Um, just, yeah, just enjoy my life. When you've dedicated your life to something in sport and you put your body through the ringer, like, not that I go to excess now, but you do miss out on a lot of things in your 20s and 30s. And so, like, you know, now it's my time to have have a moderate time of having fun and not worry about the situation. But, you know, just like, you know, we still have our hang-ups about, why haven't I got my abs? Well, you don't train 12 times a week, Kelly. That's why you don't have your abs. I still go to the, if I go to the gym, I go once and think, why don't I look like I did 10 years ago? It doesn't happen over one session, Kelly. It don't take about six months. Mm. So, so I'm a bit delusional. Um, so, um, but yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's it. That's, yeah, that's, that's my competitive nature. I think I was, yeah. So, um, yeah, not as much as it used to be, Chris, but it's still there. Still burns, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good, good. We'll, we'll wrap up shortly, but um, I'll just give you like TV chance to uh, sum up. Really, how would you how would you uh, sum up your career apart, apart from being hugely outspoken? Well, we've covered that. And how would you <laughs> how would you how would you summarise your career? Um. I think I have had a really fortunate time to have success from something that I was really good at. Um, I had the hindsight and benefit of having a real life before I became a professional athlete. So I, I did college, I did uni, I had a job. So I knew what life was like. I knew how I had to go and earn money. You know, I knew the hard way, which made, I think gives you the ability to be a lot more humble about what you do and achieve. So, um, and when you come out the other side and retire, as much as it's hard, and it really is hard, and we haven't even touched on the mental health side of sport, like which is greatly proper affected. I mean, I have been affected and still am by those, some of the situations in what it, the scars from sport. That's another podcast for you. I right, definitely okay. think so. Um, well, what, so do you, what do you mean by that? Do you mean, do you mean, do you mean the, the, the retiring from sport and losing that? or? Yeah, just um, so all the things that happen. So if you're injured and you can't compete, you know, you're missing out. You know, the, the Olympics, the, the situation of missing out on your home Olympics or how you, reti- how you retire. If you retire and it's your choice and you've made that decision, which, which is great. Not, most athletes don't get a choice to retire. It seems that they do. It's not because their body is given up. So you, you, you have to, you retire because your body says, no, <clears throat> stop. So like, then you end and then, you know, then you're, you're in a routine and then you're with a, you're, you go into a track twice a week, twice a day. You see lots of people that ends and it's like in any athlete, in any sport, team sports, whatever. Once that ends, you're by yourself. You have no routine. Um, and then you're either back to your family or by yourself or whatever. You're trying to find a nibble life. And it doesn't matter how many, how much people say, you know, make sure you have something going on in your sport. So when your sport ends, you can move on. Yeah, you can in a physical way and just, you know, might get a job. But it's the mental side. You, 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 know, you leave 20, 25 years of a life behind. And I suppose it's the same thing as when somebody retires, when they're in their 60s, except we're retiring in our 30s. And you have to then find a new identity. So, you know, you've, I'm an ex, an ex athlete. I'm an ex athlete. I'm an ex Olympian. I'm never an ex Olympian. I'm an Olympian. Mm. Always will be. But like, you get tagged and then you're detagged and you go, what? So what are you? So, um, and then you just, yeah. So, you know, so what was your reality then is not your reality now. And you've got to find your space where you fit in society. And that's mighty hard. I think it took me, um, 
when I was tra- probably up until 2020. When I got the team leader job, definitely I felt, okay, this is what I wanted to do. This is where I'm going. Um, but you still get the effects of, you know, probably didn't, we weren't really looked after in the mental health department when we were athletes were injured. Definitely weren't 10, 12 years ago, where it's probably not as much, it's probably maybe not so, not much better now, but it's like everyone's more aware. But we yeah. weren't, we didn't, no one was aware. You just, I'll get on with it. Um, so there are effects now that still affect, you know, like still times get, you know, down and low. Um, and I think that's just because we didn't look after ourselves mentally, you know, 10 years ago. So the ramifications, you know, so of that still affect you. And I, I, I'd like to know most athletes probably still have a low and have a think and a dip now. So, um, but yeah, that's quite a big thing for me. Um, I like that to be more explored in some way, shape or form, because I think it does affect a lot of people later in life, especially when you've not been successful or even if you have. So yeah. um, it's tough. It's, a, it's tough. It is really tough. I don't, people think, oh, you're having a great time. You're traveling the world. You're winning medals, earning a bit of money. You know, you're on Instagram wearing two bits of lycra, looking fabulous, doing a photo shoot. When that's all over and nobody wants you, it's quite alone. It's quite lonely. So um, in, in many ways, even if you've got loads of people around you, you can still be extremely lonely. God, that's quite deep. <laughs> wow, that is. We should, we should start this podcast again. That is, uh, that's um, just another taste of you being ridiculously open and candid, Kelly. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, but you know what, Chris? Mm. Nobody, nobody is enough. No, not mm. enough people who are open and honest, and um, I think feel free to express how they feel. I don't think nobody. I feel if if you express something, like if you break your leg, you can see it, right? It's obvious, and they're like, oh, you broke your leg. But nobody, if you, nobody sees anything broken, they, or, you know, if you're quite jovial and laugh and banter like I'm, nobody knows what plasters uh, you've got covering scratches, you know, mentally. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I think people just need to feel that they can be open. And the more people are honest with themselves and open about these conversations, I think basically um, it would be a lot easier to deal with. Because you're just, oh, just feel crap today. Well, why is that? Are you okay? Do you want to go and chat? Like, everyone should be hiding it. Should be, you should be able to have the ability to talk. So, is this something you'll bring into your job at Sport England now when you're, when you're talking to coaches? Because I'm, I'm not sure this, this sort of um, skill or, or conversation it would have been part of a, a coach's toolkit, you know, like you say, 10, 15 yeah. years ago. Whereas, you know, we're. we're We've just become more and more aware. It's, it's become more of an essential tool, this, isn't it, to deal with people's yeah, mental yeah. health. There's lots of things that coach should have in their toolkit, or actually a human being should have in their toolkit. And one of them is just communi- it's the art of communication. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, we communicate and we miscommunicate. And we say things, we mean something, but it may come differently and somebody might interpret it something completely different, like lost in translation. Um, you know, you can say one thing, but you mean another, and somebody gets a, another, sees it differently, but it's not what you mean, and then something happens, something bad happens, or good happens, or whatever. But yeah, athletes, it's about, it should be communication, whether it's female athlete health, whether it's how to deal with somebody who's in a crisis, or how to deal with somebody who's successful, like this. It's just communication, it's learning to, to communicate outwardly, but accept communication inwardly. So like, yeah, that's one of my key things. Like making an all-round coach should be an all-round person. So um, it's not just about coaching; it's about developing people, basically. So having given people having the skills. So 
yeah. Fabulous, fabulous. Wow. Deep. Okay, thanks, Kelly. It's been wonderful <laughs> talking to you. Wow. Uh, I'm blown away. No, thanks. I, I remember we haven't spoken for a few years now, but um, we, we didn't fall out. <laughs> we just have different pathways, but um, I always remember you being a great person to chat with and um, so open and honest and, and real. So thanks That's for the authenticity. That's your story, Chris. That's it, that's it, that's it. Yeah, no, it's been fabulous. No, thanks, <laughs> Kelly. No, it's, it's great to see you, though. You, you look well, so it's great to oh, see you. Uh, and, and, and your career's uh, really taken off, so oh, well done. You. Well done, you. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Kelly. Cheers. Take care. Thanks for listening to Athletic Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.